The Lord says that there is a fire that maybe you think has gone out, but that he is resurrecting. There's something dead that you have forgotten about. Yet God's saying, I'm bringing it to life inside of you. Think about it. A man who thought that his very son was dead. For years and years and years, he grieved the loss of his son. And while he was grieving, God was burning something afresh. He was resurrecting and not just preserving the life of his son, but using his son to preserve the life of the whole world. Jacob had all but lost his son. Joseph thought he was dead, and yet look at what God was doing in the life of this young man. Genesis 39. Jacob's son Joseph, who Joseph thought was dead, listen, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and to Potiphar. Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. But listen, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And so Joseph found favor as well in the sight and attended to him. And he made him an overseer in his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time that he made him an overseer in his house and over all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. God's word. Lord, we praise you for your word. We thank you for your word. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. God, we thank you for your blessing. Lord, may we like Joseph receive your favor, your supernatural blessing. Lord, many of us maybe feel trapped under bondage of all sorts of different things. And yet, Lord, it says here in verse 2, you were with Joseph. And so whatever he suffered on the outside was insignificant compared to that which you were putting on the inside of him and that spilled out from him. Lord, may we spring forth like that. May your blessing and favor be so on us that no matter what the enemy tries to trap us with, we would not just receive your blessing, but overflow with it. And it would bless our bosses and our family members and the people that we lack patience with. Lord, we pray that you would allow us to empty ourselves today to be filled with your blessing for your name. And everybody said, amen. All right, as we're finding our seats, can you give the worship team a hand? Thank you, guys. They're going to make their way off the platform. And we're going to continue on here in Genesis chapter 39. I want to share with you one big idea 
that God has given me for this chapter as the things that we've read and the things that we're going to continue to read here. Before I get to this, I think you should know that when, when I or anyone else stands up here on this platform and preaches words to you, you should know that the week leading up to that, no one gets as much out of God's word as the person preparing and saying stuff. And that's always the case for me, that uh, my, my biggest struggle is to receive that and uh, filter it rightly to share just what I'm supposed to share with you and nothing more. I always get a great blessing out of God's word, but I think today, especially, this message is for me. And I hope I can share some with you, too. And I think you'll get a blessing out of this, but uh, God is speaking to me specifically about this. And so I'm getting ministered to, especially today, here. And if, if I do an altar call at the end, even if it's just me that responds to my own call up front, uh, it's worth it. Uh, so I have one idea that weaves its way through this whole chapter that God has spoken to me, and I want to share that with you. If you leave with nothing else than this, know this, that God often empties you of earthly comforts to fill you with heavenly blessings. Now, that second part is easier to say amen to than the first part, the emptying part. But it's a principle that reigns true. Genesis, we say, is where your story begins. And this was true in Genesis 39, thousands and thousands of years ago in the life of Joseph. And it's true in your life. That God still often will empty you. Why? Because he wants to fill you with something greater than that which you would fill yourself with. He empties you of earthly comforts to fill you with heavenly blessing. Now we've seen this, this principle apply so far all through Genesis. And we've seen it especially the last few chapters as Uh, God's people in Genesis have really been emptied of certain things that would be trapping them. Now, last week, chapter 37, here in Genesis, we saw God's people, especially Judah and his sons, trapped by their own selfish view of sexuality. And we saw some very raw and very real stuff happen in their lives as a result. And uh, I just want to stop and say, first first of all, After a hard week like last week in God's Word, I'm so glad that you're back. (laughs) I'm really glad that you're here, and we can continue on in hearing of our story in God's Word. Uh, Last week in Genesis, actually Genesis 38 here, uh, God showed us how we can be free from the traps. Now, actually, Genesis 37 gives context to Genesis 39. So two weeks ago, we learned about how Joseph's older brothers, his 10 older brothers, were trapped by their own view of their own superiority over their little brother, Joseph, who's, who God had a special favor for. They had this view of superiority, and they were trapped by their own selfishness and jealousy and decided to kill him, but instead they would relent because they were nice guys. And instead they sold him into slavery. And what we'll see in the weeks to come and what we see here, so far from what we've seen and what we'll see from the rest of this chapter in chapter 39, is that The people that were trapped, ironically, were not the people who were enslaved on the outside. Joseph's brothers were in a deeper trap of their own selfishness. And Joseph, though he is enslaved here in Egypt, he is with God's blessing. It says here, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. So that can minister to you. No matter what you're going through, 
as we consider God's word today, as you sit and listen to me speak, more importantly, listen to God speak to you, to the very real things that you're going through, no matter what you're going through externally, if the Lord is with you, and if you are with the Lord, the difficulties are insignificant. I pray that you would be filled with so much more than you would try to fill yourself with. God often empties us of earthly comforts to fill us with heavenly blessing. Now that's what he was doing here in the life of Joseph. And we see here that he's sold into slavery and God exalts him. He gives him heavenly blessing, heavenly stature, heavenly power. And yet as we'll see, this whole process of emptying and filling and emptying and filling is not over yet. And it's not to labor Joseph's pain. If there's something, it's for something so much bigger than Joseph. Let's pick up here. Verse 6, the second in charge of Egypt that Joseph was blessing. It says that this man, Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of Joseph, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife, uh uh-oh, about to enter into, into another sex scandal here. His master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, she got right to the point, y'all. She said, lie with me. But he refused, verse 8. Can you everyone repeat that? Repeat that. But he refused. Come on, that's strong. And he said to his master's wife, look, because of me, My master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you are his wife. Now, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? Against God. Little mini sermon here. No matter what decision you make, no matter what sin that we contrive of in our heart or participate in with our hands, ultimately it's not just a sin against yourself or anyone else. It's against God himself who made you, who created you for so much more. And so Joseph here, he, he has very real reason to fear his master and not want to sin against, him, against himself and his own body and his own calling or against her or against his master. But he's saying, I can't do this wickedness against God. In verse 10, and as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, verse 11, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house. Now that sounds like a conspiracy there. That's not just a coincidence. No one else is there except Potiphar's wife and Joseph doing his work. Verse 12, she caught him by his garment. She grasped onto his garment and said, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Now that's a strong brother right there. This dude is strong. Now, I think you notice in here, it says nothing about Potiphar's wife being ugly. Okay? 
He didn't run from her because she was unattractive or unappealing. It says nothing of that. And we can know this. Joseph couldn't have been much more than around 20. Hadn't been with a woman. I remember what it was like to be 20. I didn't get married until I was 23. I remember when I was thinking in times like this. And yet this brother was so strong that he, he didn't just uh, reason with her and like, you know, maybe this, maybe this isn't a good idea. Brother just ran. <laughs> strong. Now, I remember in my B.C. days, my before Christ years, regrettably, the only reason I can talk about this is because God has set me free. But I remember those conversations I would have in the locker rooms and with the other guys about our exploits with women. And we would brag and boast about what we could do, right? We thought we were so strong. And I realize now looking back that that was just a competition of cowardice. Because it's easy to say yes to your flesh and to manipulate girls to get what you want. But when he says no, because he's saying yes to God, he's saying yes to the dignity within this man that he was serving and this wife, he was saying yes to the dignity and no to the perversion that he was tempted with. That is strong. That is something to boast in the Lord about. He was strong. And he was handsome. It says here, let's see, verse 6, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now, form and appearance. He was doubly handsome. So he had the looks of Denzel, which if you're younger, is this really attractive dude when I was a younger man. So he had the, the looks of Denzel, and, and it said in form. He had like the Channing Tatum body, too. Dude was handsome. And I have to believe there was even more than that. He probably... He probably dressed good and had the smell goods on. He was just attractive, right? But I would say it was probably even more than it just says in verse 6. There was an appeal to Joseph that was this whole thing. It was the favor of the Lord that was upon this guy. That thing that drew others, his master to himself, is really ultimately the same thing that drew his wife to him. He had the favor and blessing of heaven upon him. That just so happened that Potiphar's wife tended to reduce what she saw and she was attracted to, and she perverted it and sexualized it. Man, we say Genesis is where your story begins. How often do we do that? There's something real, something true, and we tend to reduce and sexualize and pervert it into something less in our own flesh. Everyone, that, that's all of us. And if you don't believe that, then, then uh, you're deceived. Because we, we, we reduce and pervert, just like Potiphar's wife here. He was handsome in appearance, but he had another draw to him. Now, I've seen this so much as I counsel young men. The last 10 or so years, you see young men surrender their lives to Christ. They get right with God, and there's something new about them. You know, maybe they were always kind of handsome in form and appearance to a degree. But there's something new. There is a new confidence, a new security, a new favor, a new blessing that is upon these men. And all of a sudden, the girls that they used to message, and maybe they would get those little clouds on the, on the, like, there's going to be a response here, but nothing? They hear nothing back? 
all of a sudden, they're hollering back. Okay? They are texting. Those, those ladies are calling. They are drawn to him. What is it? What is it? You see, they're not as always apt to connect with the source of this man's confidence and blessing and favor. They're not, they're not as always apt to say, man, there's some Jesus in him. I got to get me some of that. No, no, they're just wanting him. And as we counsel these young men, okay, there's a certain part of you that should be okay with that. They, they should be attracted to the Jesus inside of you. But let it stop there, brother. Don't be too proud of yourself. It's not quite your fault that they're so attracted to you. You're attractive, but it's mostly Jesus. So just chill. And say no. And if it gets too intense, run! Yes, sir. And thankfully, we live in Western culture where if she clings or grasps to you, you can still keep your clothes on because you're not wearing the same type of garments, I'm pretty sure. If so, let's talk about that. But listen, <laughs> I've seen this same principle apply. And Potiphar's wife here, she had all the earthly comforts and blessings that you could want. But why is it that it was what she didn't possess that drove her crazy, drove her to madness? He runs from her naked. I can only imagine he's just just giving her the finality of everything, just running from her, just saying, look, we will never, ever, ever gonna get together, you know, whatever that... T. Swift, sorry, I have a six-year-old girl. T. Swift's all up in my house, but he gave her, look, he gave her the finality. This ain't happening. This ain't going down. Day after day after day, no, but today it is done. It's never going to happen, ever. Not now, not ever. And she's driven to madness. It goes on from here, verse 13. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled from the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, my husband has brought us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me and take advantage of me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her, by her until her master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant who you brought home and brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment by my side and fled from the house. And as soon, verse 19, as soon as this master heard the words from his wife spoken to him, This is the way your servant has treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master Put him, took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord. Everyone say, but the Lord. But the Lord, but the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him his steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Now that's maybe not the favor I'm looking for initially, but wherever you are, God's favor is enough, right? 
Verse 22, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. So Joseph here is yet again emptied of his earthly comforts. Yet again. If I was Joseph, I would prone, be prone to thinking, God, am I just on a crazy roller coaster here? Like, what is going on here? I'm sold into slavery, and then, then okay, I'm good, right? But no, this happens again, and here I am in prison. We find out later that for 14 years, this dude was just chilling in prison. And that's helpful, because that gives me a little perspective, because I'm prone to thinking a lot of things in life like, Man, God, I've been waiting for this thing for 14 days or weeks or whatever. And we are so impatient. And a little perspective helps here. But see, the thing is, is Joseph didn't have this perspective. Joseph couldn't read the story about Joseph like we're reading right now. All Joseph had was the choice in the moment when God was writing the story. Today, am I going to trust God who has promised to be with me and who is with me? Or am I going to decide, like most others, not to? And look, for y'all today, beloved, you don't have the choice of whether or not you can read the story about you and its completion. That story that will be told to your children and to your grandchildren about Jesus in you, That story is something that you're still participating in, and I I pray that it's in a good way. Today, your choice is, do I trust God in what seems maybe like a roller coaster of, man, I thought I was here, but now I'm here. The question is, is, is God with you, and are you with him, and are you okay with the story he's uniquely writing in your life? Today, is the day where you would decide that. And that will determine the story that is spoken of to your kids. Joseph had this decision to make. If all I have is God and his blessing, is that enough to cherish? Is that treasure enough to be multiplied through my life? God wasn't playing just some vindictive and arbitrary games with Joseph here. In what ways is God emptying you? In what ways do you feel like maybe you're on a similar roller coaster? Like you had this, but now you're here. God, it seems so back and forth. Have you ever felt in the midst of that that maybe you're a victim to the sin of other people. You know, Joseph could have felt like that. Man, my brothers, they just, they're after me and they did this to me and now I'm here. But man, I earned all this stuff. And then, and then she just lied about me, but I didn't do anything wrong. You know, Joseph could have felt like he was a victim, but he wasn't a victim. He was, he was right in the middle of God's promise. And God had to empty him out of, of being someone who was the second most powerful person in a good nation to empty him out even further, even lower. 
Because God had a plan to do something for the whole world. He didn't know that at the time. What are the things that you're emptied of right now? And you don't have the privilege of knowing what God's going to do, how God's going to use the pain you're going through. Do you ever feel like maybe you're a victim to other people's sin? And maybe to a degree it's true. But ultimately, God's sovereign hand is in, in the story much more than you're aware of. Where are you right now? What things maybe are you trapped by? In what ways is God emptying you? Now let me flip the script for a minute. Like a lot, so get ready. Because I think when we read this whole chapter, most of us more readily identify with Joseph, but more commonly exemplify Potiphar's wife. We more readily identify with the victim of the story, but most often, if your story is like my story and your heart's like my heart, I'm the one clinging on to that which I don't yet have. So this is a little harder to identify with, but God wants to show you something here. Amen? Can anyone say amen? I'm preaching pretty good here, even though this is pretty hard. We've said that God often wants to empty you of earthly comforts to fill you with heavenly blessings. But listen, the converse, the opposite is true too. Sometimes if you're stuffed so full of earthly comforts, you will be rendered devoid of heavenly blessings. It's like a choice that we make. I would prefer to have this now, and I don't even realize how much more I'm surrendering that's in God's hands. We make the wrong choice day after day after day. Potiphar's wife was so covetous. She had all this stuff, but it was that thing that she couldn't have that she clinged and grasped after so passionately that it drove her insane. What are the things that you and I tend to cling after, to grasp onto? It's weird in our culture. We do this so much. These little rectangles here, little plastic, little metal. It seems like no matter what it does for us, how much earthly comfort it provides for us, we always want something new. Seemingly on the same schedule of however Macintosh lays out the new marketing campaign. It's just crazy how it works out like that, right? I tell you what, I don't care if these, these things someday double as a motorcycle. Yeah, my phone's also a motorcycle. We are going to be just coveting that one who's like, oh, that, that, that dude has a phone motorcycle coffee machine too. Man, I just, I'm so deprived. Now, with cell phones, listen, it's easier to just kind of laugh at because, oh, yeah, this is something we do. But let me get a little more personal because this is more often what we do. We compare our state in life to someone else's state in life. Man, his wife does that for him. Or, ladies, man, her husband doesn't do that. Doesn't leave his socks there. Or their parents pay for that. That person can afford to do that. Their kids sleep until then. 
Is anyone else with me here? I know it's not just me. It is me. But we so readily covet that which is not ours instead of treasuring what God has given us in being vessels that he can give more to. We're so busy clinging and grasping after that which is belonging to someone else. Jealousy, turning into even rage. Let me tell you, you need to hear this. You are precious. And men, you can, you can receive this too. You are uniquely precious. God has positioned you to bless you in a unique way that he hasn't positioned someone else uniquely to bless them in the same way. He wants to give you something unique. He's positioned you in life to receive something so unique that you can receive the blessing and bless others in ways that I couldn't bless them and the person sitting next to you couldn't bless them and the person that you might covet or be jealous of couldn't bless. But if only you would receive that which God wants to give to you and treasure it and cherish the Jesus gift that is for you. You are precious and you are unique in the the degree that to which you empty yourself out of your earthly comforts to receive the precious gift that Jesus wants to give to you is the degree to which you bless the rest of the world. If you can be secure that as it says here in verse 2, the Lord is with you. Yeah, sure. Maybe the Lord is uniquely with the other person in a unique way. But are you so concerned about that that you won't see that the Lord is with you? I think if you can see that today, you can see some amazing things that God's going to do from here. Think back at the story of John D. Rockefeller over 100 years ago. He had amassed so much and done so much in his life. And as he was dying on his deathbed, he was sending his associates around to make new deals, to acquire new land, to do all sorts of different things tirelessly and Someone on his deathbed asked him, Mr. Rockefeller, how much more are you going to do? How much is enough? You know what he said? Just a little more. I think there's a reason why the 10th commandment is don't covet your neighbor's this, that, or the other. Because God wants you to see your own preciousness so where you can be secure in it and to be an open vessel to give what he's only intended for you. Acts 17 says that he has determined the boundaries of the world. He decided the nation that you would live in all on his own. You weren't a part of that decision. The decision you have is, will I be where I am, secure in him, so that I could grasp on to him, to reach out for God himself? That's a choice we make every day. And so often, if you're like me, we make the wrong choices, the wrong exchanges. And we sin by grasping on to what is not ours. Clinging for it, grasping on to what is not ours. But Jesus comes to heal us of our sin by not grasping on to what is his. I'm going to say that again. We all sin by grasping on to what is not ours, to clinging after it. And Jesus heals us of that same sin, not grasping on to what is his. 
I have to share this. Philippians 2, starting with verse 5. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Lord, may we make it ours. May we empty ourselves of whatever mindset we have. May this mindset be ours. Have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he is God for eternity. He is God. And though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God. Something to be grasped. What did he do instead? In a moment in time, in the pinnacle of history, verse 7, he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. You see, ultimately no amount of us emptying ourselves will render us capable of receiving the eternal, final blessing that only God can give. The only thing that will suffice is if the man of heaven himself comes and empties himself out to receive that which he alone can give to you and me. And the choice every day is will I grasp out and receive more of Jesus or will I cling after things that are lesser? Will you stand to your feet with me, please? I'm going to ask a few growth group leaders to come forward. I want you to close your eyes with me as we enter into this last song before we sing this song and I come up and dismiss after it, I want you to close your eyes and picture Jesus. He is walking toward you and he is carrying all sorts of things in his hand. And he says to you, here in my hand, my child, I have your future I have people, I have jobs, I have relationships, I have things to do, I have provision for that, I have the money available, I have everything and more, I have secrets for you, secrets that you know nothing about, I have mysteries from your past that I'm going to bring to your present and to your future that are going to astound you, I have so many blessings I can't even explain it, I want to give this to you my child, but I can't because your hands are full. Now I want you to extend your hands out and palms down, just open your hands. And repeat after me, say, Lord, I empty myself. I let go. I lay it all down. Now turn your hands, palms up. Say, Lord, I receive you and all that you have. 
Now, as we sing this last song, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that God is calling you to lay down so that you could receive a blessing from his throne? What is God emptying you of? More than you're trying to empty yourself of, what is God emptying you of so that you can receive him? Consider that question before God as we sing this last song.